It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. The Lats Factor Podcast. What is up, College Across fans? You're watching episode 270 or so of the Lax Factor podcast. I'm your host, Ted Hoost, and today, first day back after a hiatus that involved a lot of golf, a lot of Fortnite with the kids and crap like that. Uh, but the season is upon us. I cannot put this off anymore, and we need to dive into this crap. We're going to start out today with a bunch of news. Uh, Syracuse scrimmaged Michigan yesterday. Hopkins scrimmaged UMBC Friday. Maryland's you know, putting the number one on a defender for the second season in a row, and I fully agree with that decision. Um, we'll talk about the media poll a little bit and how my media poll, my, my submission differed a little bit from the final poll inside lacrosse did a pretty decent write up, uh, you know, position by position. So I just wanted to talk about those rankings and where I agreed and disagreed. And, uh, just generally, we're just going to ramble, uh, for a little bit, try to get back into the groove because next weekend, a week from today, I'm talking about games with highlights and all of that crap. So, uh, as always, uh, be sure to like subscribe, you know, you can watch us on Spotify. You can watch the video. Video podcast and listen. YouTube has the video podcast, of course, and then you can get the podcast audio-wise anywhere where you can find your podcast. If there's a player or a, a, a platform that I'm not on that you would like me to put it on, let me know, and I shall do that. But uh, I digress. I want to dive into the news here. I want to talk first about uh, the Syracuse and the Michigan scrimmage from yesterday. Now, I'd hoped the news was a little bit better. Uh, the reports varied widely. I heard one report it was as bad as 12 to 6 in favor of Michigan at one point. Uh, the the story went no matter what the report was because I heard it was 12-6 at one point, but it was 8-6 by halftime. Uh, I heard Syracuse may have started subbing out their defense uh, at, at the half whereas Michigan may have kept their guys in a little bit longer. This is what you get from the Syracuse fandom side of things. But the idea being 8-6 at the half was what I think to be the most credible report. I heard 8-6 or 9-6 at the half from uh, two different sources here, one of them in the Syracuse fan um, forum and then another one uh, via social media private message here. Uh, I heard Syracuse had troubles clearing. That was across the board. Everyone that talked about it that had any knowledge of it or so-called knowledge of the outcome said in the first quarter, Syracuse cleared the ball terribly. There was mention that Michigan may have even been uh, trying uh, trying out a 10-man ride uh, for portions of that first quarter, although I can't confirm that. But I did hear pretty consistently. Syracuse struggled to clear the ball, but other than that, both teams looked very good offensively. Both teams looked solid defensively, and uh, Syracuse did well against uh, Wheatfelt and the Michigan faceoff unit uh, to the tune of either splitting or maybe even coming out a little bit better than what Michigan did. So that would be a good sign, but we got to wait till the real games are being played to know either way. 
Uh, but any any good news uh, from the faceoff dot uh, for Syracuse is going to be good news for Syracuse fans. So overall, that's really it. There's no no other nothing other uh, else to report. There may have been an injury at the defensive midfield position. Didn't say if that was uh, faceoff wise or if that was just straight up uh, you know uh, short stick D mids. Uh, but no no report on who that is yet. So we'll see or how serious it even was. So we'll see how that goes. But hey, re- reason to be optimistic here for Syracuse fans. Uh, we also had uh, Hopkins scrimmaged UMBC on Friday night. This is, I think, their only tune-up before the season starts. They turned a lot of heads last year. You know, I did not expect for Hopkins to do what they did, and they they played well offensively with a blue-collar group of guys. And defensively, they were one of the toughest defenses in the in the nation. Physical, beat you up, could take the ball away. They got streaky goalie play, but good enough for them to have the season they had last year. Now, from what I heard in this scrimmage, specific to the scrimmage, because I'm going to talk about uh, Hopkins offensively a little bit more, uh, Angelus apparently had the Midas touch. If you listen to the IL staff, they were really hyped on Angelus in the scrimmage. They, they said he started out like two and two. Every time he touched the ball, good things happened. And with Degnan, Angelus and, Melen- uh, Angelus and Melendez all back on attack, mixed with the fact that, that uh, inside lacrosse rated their midfield the number one midfield, I'm not sure I agree with that, but we'll see as we dive into it a little bit more. Uh, I don't want to just continue to talk about Hopkins in a positive light nonstop, but legitimately it does appear Hopkins is back because now that defense, they're not blue blue collar anymore. They got Smith and Slu- uh, uh, Sulik back on close defense to anchor that defense with Chase Erlin, who could maybe bring a little bit more consistency to Cage uh, in Cage. Although I, I would I would posit that even Erlin's a little bit of a streaky goalie. But when he's hot, he put up back-to-back 21 save performances, I believe, for Cornell last year. So that's that's just huge for Hopkins to get that back, to, to, to have the bulk of everybody back. I believe they lose Mazone, who was a physical leader down there, but they bring back, like I said, Smith and Sulik, and now they have Erlin and Cage, who's a, a fifth or sixth-year college student at this point. The dude's like 25 years old starting in Cage for Hopkins, so that's going to be huge for them. I fully expect Hopkins is going to be able to finish top three of the Big Ten and either or or maybe both, they could win the uh, the tournament and even the regular season crown. So watch Hopkins. They're going to be very, very good in uh, this upcoming season. Uh, one thing didn't surprise me. I, I hadn't thought about who's Maryland going to give the number one to, and uh, it turns out for the second season in a row, they're going to give the number one to a defender. Uh, they're going to hand their famous number one to veteran defenseman and taker of his peers, Candy, Ajax Zapatello. Zapatello wore number 36, I believe, a season ago. And this year, he'll down the number one. One of the best takeaway defenders in the country. I think potentially the best overall defender in the country because he, he you know, you, you he can do anything you ask of him. But anytime you've got a guy that can play a number one uh, or maybe get lucky and get to guard a number two while you try to put someone else on the number one while he can kind of roam around and anchor a little bit more. But he can also take the ball away. Just huge. Uh, the bad news for Maryland, they're used to having multiple top-notch defenders that are at or above 
Zapatello's skill level while also having an offensive player that's usually one of the best players on the field. Uh, they didn't have that offensive threat last year, hence Maycar getting the number one, and uh, the same this year. Zapatello is their obvious best player, and they're giving him the number one. Another huge thing for Maryland that I think isn't being talked about enough, or maybe it is, and I'm just that douchebag now that says, oh man, you know, they're fronting on somebody, uh, is uh, McNaney is back in cage, Corning kid, Section 4 kid, back in cage for Maryland after winning a national title uh, the season before that. So McNaney, is, uh, he's going to bring some stability. To, not that Maryland was bad in goal last year. Uh, they figured it out by the end, and they had a really good – I believe their defense was what, top 10 uh, in terms of adjusted uh, defensive efficiency. So Maryland's going to be good to go, but having McNaney in cage, they've got to be excited about that and expect Zapatello to absolutely wreck people here. Now this is where things start to get a little bit gross, and I'm going to apologize to my Syracuse uh, my fans that happen to also be Syracuse fans is once again, I've got to talk about Hopkins because here was a gross thing about Hopkins in terms of this whole is Hopkins back for a second season in a row uh, debate here. And this is not a typo. Uh, what I'm about to say, I believe it is accurate because I did see that inside lacrosse was talking about it as well. Hopkins returns their top 11 scorers from a season ago. So as you're looking at this, the chance that the guy here, if he's one of the top 11 on this list, is back for the 2024 season, I believe is a lock here. Um, they haven't had this much firepower in a really long time. And granted, as we start getting down to the lower levels of this, these aren't guys that have put up a ton of points. But still, these are guys that have all played together multiple seasons in a row now, uh, have played within this system and uh, that, that's nothing but good for Hopkins. Now, Angelus was last year's top dog. He put up 61 points, 17 goals, 44 helpers. He facilitated almost everything that Hopkins did to a degree. Outside of they had some mid, midfield Dodgers, but they, they really tried to push the ball a lot through X with Angelus. And that was great when he was on point, not so much when he wasn't on point. Hopkins went 8-0 and when Angelus scored three or more points. When he was held to two points or fewer, Hopkins was 1-3. and Now, that that that's obviously going to happen because when your best player isn't putting up points, you're not going to do quite as well. That would also imply you're playing against a defense that's good enough to take him out of the mix, which means what else are they taking out of the mix and screwing up? So obviously that makes sense, but still, Angelus, when he played well, three or more points, eight and no. When he didn't, one and three, if he had two or fewer. Now, lucky for the Jays, though, with all that said, he scored three or more points in 11 of the 17 games that he played in. And from what we're hearing from IL, like I had talked about earlier, he's looking really good already, and he's got both of his line mates in uh, Degnan and Melendez back. And you look here, 61 points for him as a facilitator primary, primarily, 17 and 44 was what he put up here with a 32% shooting percentage. That is excellent. Did not turn the ball over all that much, 23 turnovers, considering the amount of touches that he got and the amount of offense that they tried to put through him. Uh, and then you look at Russell Melendez, 53 points, 39% shooting. Dude could score highlight reel-level goals, uh, you know, hustle Melendez, whatever you want to call him here. Dude uh, got it done. Garrett Degnan, 41-5, and goal-scoring threat. Dude has a cannon. And uh, all of these guys started pretty much the entire season. Uh, Angelus and Melendez each missed a start, but that's it. And then you look at Melendez's on, uh, shots on goal. Uh, percentage 75.3 percent that's pretty ridiculous now we get into the midfield that was ranked number one midfield in the country and you can kind of see why because we've got three midfielders here 
between uh, Collison, Grimes, and Peshko that all put up 35 points, 34 points, and 21 points respectively. All of them goal-heavy, but all of them can do either or. Collison's my favorite of the bunch. Uh, he started 14 games last season. I believe he was a freshman last year. It was last year his sophomore season. I always forget and get mixed up because some of these guys now with COVID have been here forever. As we get deeper into the season, you're going to hear me say over and over again, holy shit, he's still there. Matt Brandau of Yale. I had no idea that Brandau was going to be back at Yale, which is crazy now because that attack unit at Yale between Brandau, Brandau Lions, and uh, offhand here, I'm forgetting the, the third, um, that's going to be a filthy attack unit. I think we're going to talk about them in a little bit here. Um, so you get through to Collison. I think Collison has midfielder of the year level potential. I was high on him a season ago. I think he's going to have a better season this year, especially because, once again, he's playing with all of these guys that he was used to playing with last year. Brendan Grimes, big name, 20-14 and 14 last year. Peshko, 16-5. and five. And then you start getting down deeper. We get into the 7, 8, and 9 Leading scorers, we're still looking at 16 points for uh, Dylan Bauer. Ryan Evans put up 12. Casey McDermott put up uh, 12. Brooks English, who some are saying could be one of Hopkins' best offensive players overall, I believe is what IL was saying in that report, unless I'm mixing him up. He had 11 points last year, and if they're saying he's progressed so much that he's now one of their better offensive talents, that's just absolutely huge. So, yeah, top 11 Scores from a season ago, all back for Hopkins. Now, this is in addition to Erlen coming in to fortify the cage for Hopkins, to their defense returning the bulk of everyone other than Mazone. So once, just nothing but optimism here coming out of uh, Blue Jay land in Baltimore. Uh, and we'll get to see Syracuse play them here again. Now, another thing I want to talk about, and that is the media poll. And the media poll, pretty. I don't think there's a whole lot of surprises. I think the biggest mover upper in terms of you know where they finished the season last year to where they are now was definitely Syracuse. But as I go through the poll here and we look at it, I had Notre Dame, Duke, and Virginia. I had Notre Dame, Duke, Virginia, and uh, Penn State and Hopkins all in this order. I, I figured we had to – Penn State surprised, and I'm not sure what Penn State's going to do this year, uh, but – I felt feel I've always said this, and I said this last year. You got to reward the previous season's success in the preseason poll for sure. That's just the way it works. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. And uh, I felt like that made sense. I, I saw even, I think, the, like the USA lacrosse pool may have even had Maryland ahead of Hopkins, which I thought was ludicrous, but I felt like this was fair. And this is, though, where I break away from them. Now, as we get into 6 through 10, I had Cornell and Maryland swapped here. I had Cornell at 5 
and then I had Maryland at number seven. And then I had Army at eight, so I nailed that one down. This one right here, I actually put Georgetown at nine. I don't know why. It was partly rewarding last year's success. I, I initially, in one of my drafts, had them further down, so I pretty much got this one wrong. They give that to Syracuse, which I was glad about. Uh, but I had this, uh, my number nine was Georgetown. My number 10 was Syracuse. Yale ends up picking that spot up here. My number 11 was Princeton. Michigan eats that one. My number 12 was not Georgetown. My number 12 was Michigan. I forgot, I realized for people who are only listening that I, I lost you there with a couple of the spots. My number 13 or 13 in the poll was Denver. My number 13 was Yale. And that was partly because when I did the poll, I had not yet realized that Brandau was back at Yale, which is probably would have changed that for me as well. Uh, my So my 13 was Yale. The number 14 in the poll is Princeton. My 14 was Denver. I nailed the Rutgers. Mine, I had them at 15, and the poll did as well. And then as we get down to the bottom here, I had – or the poll has Delaware at 16. I had Penn – uh, 17 is North Carolina. I nailed it. The poll has Boston U at 18. I had them. I have Delaware at 18. Poll has Penn at 19. I had Boston U. Poll has Richmond at 20. I had Utah. So, I mean, by, by the time you get down to there, who gives a crap? I, I tried to kind of do a mix of, hey, Utah made the tournament. So let's put Utah in the poll over Richmond, even though I'm not sure if Utah can repeat that level of success. So the ones I think mainly that I got wrong uh, it was Michigan here. Yale, I probably should have had up a little higher. But generally, I think I did an okay job. And I'm realizing as I'm reading this all off and talking about it that this was a terrible segment. Should not have done it, or I should have done it more effectively and had a better plan and cadence for it. So let's ditch the shit out of this here. And this is where I get into, to a degree, flying by the seat of my pants. So we will talk about some units here, and we're going to talk about the attack units for 2024 as per IL and what they think uh, the top attack units are. Now, they're giving honorable mention to Syracuse. Syracuse, as everybody knows, has Spalina and Hiltzback and Christian Moulet, the transfer from uh, Lehigh, and then Trey Deer figure, those four figure to factor in. I believe from what I've heard, it's going to be Spalina, Hiltz, and Moulet starting. I think Moulet just fills that spot better because the problem, the only problem I've heard with Deer is if you throw Deer into that mix. Now you've got too many lefties. You don't have a, a guy that has proven that he can be just a legitimate and, and absolute animal on the dodge. And I think Moulet and Spalina are both good dodging attackmen. Not that Hiltz can't dodge, but Hiltz is kind of a facilitator slash off ball scorer to a degree. Although he did a little bit more and mixed it up a little bit more last year in terms of carrying the ball, partly by necessity. Syracuse lacked a, a really, really solid elite dodger on attack last year. So I think Moulet is better than Kirst in that spot. I think he fits the, the will gel with that Syracuse attack much better. And then you can't count Deer out. Deer scoring threat probably will be a surprising feeder as well. I, Hiltz, I always looked at as a guy that was going to score goals off bell, uh, off ball, snipe lefty from wings and crap like that. But he's turned into a complete player and Deer should be that as well as a freshman. He's an all American out of high school here out of, uh, I believe IMG. Is that where Deer played? 
Um, so they, yep, Syracuse gets honorable mention. Now, Michigan, I was surprised to see them get mentioned, except they bring in Lehigh grad transfer Justin Tiernan to replace losing Big Cat that we'll talk about here in a little bit later. So they got Bohm back, Cohen back, and this grad transfer. Uh, and apparently that's supposed to be a very good attack unit. Now, Bohm was 45 and 28, or BAME. I forget how to pronounce it. I think it's actually BAME. Uh, 45 and 28 last season. Very good attackman overall. Uh, Cohen, 27 and 30 last season. Uh, Tiernan, 23, uh, put up 23, yeah, 23 points a season ago, I believe. So he's going to probably fill, the, fill out that third attack spot. Apparently, they look very good against a sketchy Syracuse defense here come Saturday. So that's all good things for Mer- Michigan. Now, Maryland, they get Maliver back from an injury last season. Maliver was supposed to be one of their better attackmen last year. He gets injured preseason, doesn't play at all. Uh, but they get Braden Erksa, Daniel uh, Kelly, uh, Danny Maltz. I don't know who's the crazy ball carrier in this mix. It seems to me a lot of goal-scoring guys. I know Kelly can mix it up a little bit. In last year's Maryland offense, they were still 11th in the country in terms of overall efficiency, which lets you know the system works. Now it's just a matter of do they have the guys that can get Maryland back to the top of the Big Ten. I'm not sure because Hopkins, they bring all three of their attackmen back, as we talked about, so I'm not going to wax nostalgic about them again. But, yeah, Hopkins being mentioned here in terms of one of the best attack units because they bring a very productive unit back, you know, full, full, full team. Okay, we move on, and now we get – this is where I'm not sure completely. Cornell at number five, obviously C.J. Kirst, Long, and Firth, very formidable. Firth, I believe, is the kid of the group, and Kirst, I mean, 65 and 19. Per my lax factor um, attack rankings, which I'll put out here come next week and the week after, we'll talk, start talking about them more. Kirst is actually the top-ranked attackman per my computer-generated rankings. It's really not computer-generated rankings, and it's more a formula uh, to to rank players, and Kirst is the best, partly because he turns the ball over very little, scores a boatload of points overall, so his points per game is high, but more importantly, um, between not turning the ball over, he takes the ball away, the gap between his shooting percentage and his on-goal percentage is one of the smaller uh, amongst the top attackmen, so that kind of brought him up to the top. So Kirst and that Cornell unit, will be formidable. Uh, This unit here, Leo Johnson, Chris Lyons, I miss Johnson, and and Matt Brandau, that's a ridiculous attack unit. Brandau's like a a 30-year-old man at this point. He's been at Yale for 17 years uh, officially. So that's nuts to have all three of those guys back. Brandau was 37 and 33 a season ago, which I felt like was a step back for him because I figured Brandau was going to put up 90-plus. I had him picked as maybe my Tewartan favorite or one of my Twarton favorites last year. I thought he was going to have that kind of season, being a you know 29-year-old attackman. He didn't because partly, you know, you got uh, Leo, uh, Johnson, and Lyons. J- Johnson puts up 40 and 22. Lyons, 62 and 12. Both huge leaps in their game. Brandau takes a little bit of a step back, but very, very, very sick, disgusting, filthy attack unit here uh, that Yale's going to put on the field. Virginia. Connor Schellenberger, Peyton Cormier, Jack Boyden, 
uh, McCabe Millen. Now, I believe Millen, uh, in one of their scrimmages, I read somewhere that it looked like Millen did play the entire game at attack. So I believe that the the unit may end up being Schellenberger, Cormier, and Millen primarily. But Boyden will get worked in either at midfield or you know as a fourth attackman rotating in through them. I'm, I don't. I've talked about them enough on the pod. You know, Schellenberger, one of the best in the country. Cormier, the best finisher in the country, and Millen uh, transferring from North Carolina up to. Or wait, did Millen transfer from North Carolina? Up to Virginia. Who knows? But Millen is going to tear it up here. Cormier was fifty-two and twelve last year. Uh, Schellenberger eighty-four points, thirty and fifty-four, three point three eight assists per game, led the country. So you know, you know, you know what it is here. Virginia is going to be very good on attack yet again, especially with Schellenberger at X or up on the right wing opposite of Cormier. Going to be dirty. Now, number two, I don't, this one I don't agree with. People are going to chirp the shit out of me. I feel like Notre Dame, you probably could have bumped Notre Dame down to five in terms of the attack. You, the grit and, and, oh my gosh, I can just picture people coming after me for this after saying all that out loud. I almost feel bad myself because don't get me wrong. They're one of my favorite attack units in the country. One of the most fun attack units to watch in the country, but to have them at number two, I felt like wasn't, you know, just from a statistical standpoint uh, in terms of my lax factor attack rankings, Kavanaugh, because of the wide gulf in terms of his shooting percentage and his on goal percentage mixed with a lower, you know, points per game than what a lot of these guys have. I, I like it. I like Jake Taylor. It'll be interesting to see what Jake Taylor can do in a full season because I don't think he's played a full season opposite of uh, Kavanaugh, uh, Kavanaugh and then now Chris Kavanaugh with him. So while I love the Kavanaugh brothers, they're the two toughest attackmen in the country. Taylor's an absolute animal, high rate, highlight goal-scoring freak. Ricky Ardelli is also very good. I'm just not sure these guys deserve to be the number two unit in that way because I feel like if you were to pick units to build your team around, I feel like you're taking Schellenberger and Cormier over those guys. I feel like just because CJ Kirst overall, I think is the second best attackman in the country, maybe the third, you know, I, I feel like you'd end up taking maybe even Cornell. And then look at this unit. In terms of quality all the way through, point production all the way through, efficiency all the way through, Yale's unit's better. So that was my only disagreement. I, I didn't mind their order other than I felt like I would have bumped Notre Dame down the list. And the no-brainer, absolute no-brainer whatsoever is Duke at number one. O'Neal, the best in the game. Dyson Williams, in terms of off-ball finishing, one of the top three guys in the country. Not an outside shooter. Cormier is unique. Not unique in terms of off-ball, but Cormier is good in close uh, off-ball and will snipe you from all over the field out top on the left wing there. Williams, not that crazy outside shooter. He's a true, what you would kind of consider a crease and around-the-crease attackman. McAdory bring, uh, uh, finishes out that starting crew, and then the transfer of Josh Zuada. Now, I don't think we're going to see Zuada play attack. I think we'll see the trend continue where a guy like Zuada may end up playing midfield, but because uh, Andrew McAdory was a midfielder in high, in high school, I believe, played both attack and midfield, you may end up seeing McAdory anchor that first midfield unit and then Zawada play attack. Zawada, just a huge transfer, the kid from Michigan here. So McAdory, 36 and 25 on attack last year. Williams, uh, 60 and 5. O'Neal, 55 and 42. Best player on the list for sure. But uh, Zawada's numbers, I don't see Zawada's numbers in here. Um, yeah, doesn't show Zawada's. But make no mistake, he's going to fit in perfectly at Duke. 
Heady kid uh, can do everything, can shoot from outside a little bit. He's not doesn't have the the biggest snipe, but he he has range to him, and he can probably just about fill every role being the veteran that he is. So 100% I'm on board with that. Like I said, Notre Dame, I just don't think they deserve to be quite that high, uh, but they're definitely, I think, one of the top five units overall, partly just because of their toughness, team leadership. Now they've won a national title for uh, the Irish, uh, so chirp me. Chirp me. I deserve it. I, I accept it. It's just the one place I disagreed with them. Now we get into midfield rankings. And once again, uh, we get into who they mention as uh, honorable mention here. Uh, Yale with Thomas Bragg, who's got just an absolute cannon. And then the rest of these guys, you know, not huge names or whatnot, but they're, they, they provide depth. They're generally interchangeable, and all of them can put some points up. Cornell, Aiden Blake, Hugh Kelleher, Spencer Wertheim. I don't think they're going to have depth at midfield, and I'm surprised they get mentioned, but you got to throw them in here. Georgetown gets Alexander Vardaro from Princeton. They got Graham Bundy, Dylan Hess. Um, uh, So all those guys are very good lacrosse players. TJ Haley um, on attack is going to be good, but in terms of midfield units, Georgetown, they deserve to mention here. Uh, Bryant, they mentioned. Princeton lost all their midfielders to other people, so they still have some depth apparently. But let's dive into the, the real the real numbers here. Number five uh, by IL by IL is Maryland's unit of uh, Jack Chorus, uh, Zach Whittier, Eric Spanos, Jack Brennan, Owen Murphy, Elijah Stoba, Stobo. However, the hell you pronounce that on two. I don't. I don't know much about these guys, honestly. I know Maryland surprised offensively, considering how far I thought that compared to where I thought they were going to end up offensively to how they finished, and that ha- obviously has to do with all the team team depth. We know that Maryland has no chumps on this team, period. But that one, I'm not sure about. I know Chorus here. It says 21 goals, eight helpers. Brennan seven and 11. So not a whole lot of absolute proven talent, but absolute solid dogs that can play and provide depth and will get the job done and will play within that system. Now, the one I'm excited about, obviously, number four here, Syracuse, and I'm not sure how they're going to break this up because per the scrimmage, it, it, they didn't really say, but what they're showing here, and I'm sure there's you know some logic uh, plugged in here, maybe even from Gate personally, the midfield line, Finn, uh, the first line, Finn Thompson, Jake Stevens, Michael Leo. Leo broke out. Both Thompson and Leo were freshmen last year. Leo, I believe, anchored the second line, but was one of the best Dodgers on the team for Syracuse last year. Finn Thompson played opposite Alex Simmons, a Canadian, and they played an excellent two-man game on that first midfield line. So it made sense to me that they would have Stevens and Thompson on that first midfield line again because both Canadians can kind of play opposite of each other in that two-man game, and you can have Leo be the initial Dodger and kind of the main Dodger of the offense from out top. And then you got Luke Roja, who played well. Sam English, transfer from Princeton, a very good player, has been injured, but he's you know he should be back and looking good. And then Jackson Burtwistle, who uh, produced a lot of points for Cuse. And then they have guys even below that that'll probably work into the mix here. But Leo, 18 and 8 last year. Thompson, 19 and 14. A very good feeder, especially out of that two man game as a midfielder. So all sorts of depth when you add Stevens and English. Stevens can go both ways. So expect him to even get some points maybe in transition from time to time. So Syracuse there with the number four. Army, we've got Evan Plunkett, Jacob Morin, Bailey O'Connor. Morin had a big season last year, and then some depth to go through. Once again, I don't know enough about all these guys to, to go crazy outside of Punklet, Punklet, Plunkett 
was 21 and 25. He's a special player. Uh, like I said, Jacob Morin is a veteran. He was 36 and six last year. So two very good midfielders to anchor that. Morin took freaking 116 shots on the season, burying 31 of them. Uh, Gunnar Fellows was 23 and six last year as an attackman, but it looks like he might run a little bit of midfield. So all things to think about. Notre Dame, and uh, I think that just because of Jacob uh, Eric Dobson alone, you could put Notre Dame up here. Dobson's one of my favorite midfielders in the country, but what Notre Dame has here is a good mix of tough midfielders. Dobson, the big cat, but uh, Jalen Seymour, who looks like he'll get line two time, he was 5-1 and one last year. Uh, Dobson, uh, as their top dog last year at the midfield, 34-11. and 11. And it seems like Notre Dame always has that big monster, the big, tough uh, midfielder that can light it up like an animal from out top. You know, So Dobson's got 100-plus mile-an-hour speed on his shot, can get up and down, can dodge a little bit here and there. Um, but off ball, just as a sniper, you find him out top with his hands free. He's going to murder people, but he's also going to beat you on the dodge just because he's a big beast. Uh, Gray, 16 and 3. Those are the known commodities uh, per what they said. And once again, I feel like national champion winning. I, I don't know that Notre Dame, that their midfield has the depth. Let's say that even a Syracuse midfield does in terms of point production, but the fact that they're playing well within a system and they are the returning national champs gets them up here. That's the only one. I, I can't say I disagree, though, because of Eric, Eric Dobson alone. He's that good. I think that he, he my probably my top pick by the time all is said and done for a shot at you know gaining midfielder of the year so on and so forth. And then we already talked about it, Hopkins here. Matt Collison, I think, is one of the other top five midfielders on this list here. Brooks English, Peshko, all coming back from a year ago. Brendan Grimes, uh, all of these guys are really good. I think in terms of if you look at top to bottom, they, they probably do deserve to be the number one uh, ranked midfield unit. I think that the sleeper here, and I, I say this and everyone's going to roll their eyes, I think the sleeper here is Syracuse only because these young guys played incredible last year uh, with a rough go. You know, they were all young trying to figure it out. They didn't have the, the best attack unit overall simply because they were still trying to figure out where everybody fit. And the midfielders really, I think, carried this team last season to that 8-7 and seven record or whatever they finished. So these are my sleepers. And they're only my sleepers because of Jake Stevens being added to the mix and because of Sam English being added to the mix. Thompson, Leo, Roja, Burt Whistle, all very good players and I think would have maybe warranted the fifth spot even without bringing in Stevens and English. And you bring those two in. And I, I agree with their with them putting them at four, but I think by the time all is said and done in terms of points production, that you could see this unit be one of the best, maybe top three in the country. Boom. Defensively, I didn't really like any of these rankings. Obviously, they uh, inside lacrosse has Navy and Army kind of honorable mentioned here. They mentioned Cornell, who lost the best defender in the country, the number one pick in the PLL draft. They lose their goalie, so I don't know. I, I don't know that Cornell has ever had that much depth at defense that they could lose their three-year starter in cage and their the, the nation's best defender and then still be right on the outside of a top-five defense. But that's what IL had here. Now, number five, Virginia, I feel like because of their – because of Kastner and Kologi. Cole, uh, Cole Kastner, Griffin Kologi, transfer from Richmond, played for Virginia, Virginia last year, did very well. Kastner now steps into that 
top role uh, on the defense as Sawstad leaves. You got Matt Nunes, who's a streaky goalie, but he's a goalie that's got experience like none other and has played in every big game possible. I really like the Virginia defense, and I think that them them at number five didn't necessarily make sense to me. Uh, I think partly they end up giving up a lot of points because of the way they play defense. But I think if you pop Kastner and Kaloji on any team in the country, they're potentially that team's best defender and will play well in any system. Um, so anyway, Virginia's sitting here at number five. Maryland, I just because of Zapatello alone, I felt like Maryland should probably be a little bit higher. Uh, but the problem being that Zapatello is the guy. They don't. They no longer have two top All American talents here. They've got now got Zapatello, and then three guys. In, in, I, I like Berlase, uh, Schaller, and Alvidi. I don't know a lot about, but I do like Colin Berlase and uh, you know Zapatello. Two of the top defenders are Zapatello, definitely, I think, the best defender in the country, in my opinion, right now, in terms of all-around ability to cover a man and take that guy's candy away from him. And then you bring back Logan McNaney, All-American goalkeeper, injured a year ago, won a national title. Bringing him back, I think, is huge. So I guess that's maybe not too bad of a placement here, especially with McNaney coming back from injury. Hopkins... Scott Smith, we already talked about it. Smith, uh, Sulik, and Stobner look to anchor the defense. Chase Erland coming in from Cornell, very good goaltender, capable of getting hot and putting up 20-plus saves. Did it last year twice at least. Um, so that's a very good unit. North Carolina. I, I actually know nothing about this North Carolina crew like, other than Krieg has been their starter for, you know, what, the last three seasons or whatnot. Uh, Andrew Geppert. Uh, what is it? Geppert, a Maryland transfer? Leading advocate Andrew I don't know. Geppert, I forget where Geppert's from. Oh, Geppert's a Brown graduate. So, yeah, the, the, apparently everyone's thinking real highly about this defense with Krieg and Cage at number two. I sound like a moron here at this point. And then the Notre Dame defense, I probably agree with. Conlon, very good defender, very good all-around defender, does everything well. Uh, Bergmaster, once again, a very good defender, but you've got Liam Entman returning in Cage. I will not front on Liam Entman ever again. Uh, I thought he was overrated a year ago, and he, I think he, his regular season may have kind of lined up to a degree with what I was talking about, but his performance through the tournament um, shut me up. He wins a national title as a goalkeeper for Notre Dame. was a big reason they won that national title, and uh, so I will shut up about them. I'm totally cool with Notre Dame in terms of a system being one of the better defensive systems in college across because every year they're putting up a, a very good defensive team. They do lose Chris Fake, but I wouldn't worry too much about that because Entman's back. Conlin is very capable. And I believe every player on this list is pretty much worthy of uh, wearing uh, the gold helmets and, and rocking defense for Notre Dame. So, boom, that is what I think about Notre Dame. Let's get into my quick pick here. Uh, in terms of, I just wanted to throw out some some quick crap here. Uh, uh, Tuartan favorite. My Tuartan favorite for 2024 before the season gets underway here is O'Neal. I think you'd be crazy not to have him at the top of your list um, especially because he brings all his boys back and some to help him out again here. Uh, I think that you got to throw Schellenberger in the mix in there. Uh, you could throw uh, who else? I don't even know. I think those are the two favorites, and I think one of those two probably win the Tuartan. I think the problem um, with guys like Kavanaugh, 
uh, are just going to be point production isn't going to be there. You know, in order to win that, that it's been proven over and over again to win the Twartan, you need to put up a shitload of points and be on a team that is very good. Uh, you know, so that's that's the key here. You either have to lead the country in scoring by quite a bit, or you have to be one of the top five scorers in the country, uh, top ten scorers in the country, and play on a team. No, top five. Let's go back to top five scorers in the country and play on a team that is you know makes it to a Final Four weekend. So that ends up being how that works. Now, my schedule here for the week is I think I'm going to more than likely live stream a show. Uh, I'm I'm going to live stream, I think, one of the shows. I may live stream Sunday morning because the idea being it'll just make it easier to get the show out and then it just exists in the ether. And then I'll put out a quick like uh, preview show every Thursday is what the plan is right now. So as I get into the season and get into the flow and I figure out which day of the week I want to do the weekday show, I'll put that show out and we'll decide. But I'm I'm leaning heavily into maybe live streaming Sunday morning's show uh, just to make it easier on me, you know, because then I don't have to cut things up after. I can just kind of do the show. It lives out there in the ether afterwards and we're good to go. So that's it. I'm going to shut the hell up here. Uh, first first day back. I've rambled for 37 minutes so far. I am I have no idea if this entertained you. Are you not entertained? I don't know. So let me know. Everybody start hitting me with questions. I need questions to answer uh, in segments. So hit me up on social media. Hit me up in the comments here. Ask me whatever. Tell me what you want me to talk about. I will talk about it. Tell me teams you want to see get more coverage. I will try to cover them. Just boss me around for the most, most part. But like I said, I'm going to shut the hell up here and get out. So thank you for watching. Thank you for listening. Come back Thursday. Thursday, we will do the preview show for the games that are upcoming here uh, on Saturday. And then obviously come back Sunday for the big shebang, the first weekend pre uh, review show. And uh, that's it. Thank you for watching. Thank you for listening. And Hoost is out. The Lapse Factor Podcast.